As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I think! And time, and time again. Break up the music! Charge your glass! This nation is going to dance all night! Denmark's talisman, Jonathan Pierce's Euro 2022, is well and truly underway. Breaking down every element of William Accio's greatest miss in football history, Mark Bright's one millisecond co commentary that says a thousand words. AD Boothroyd in India, what does it mean to meet across a 48 pointer in the cricket? Richard Keyes on Sue Barker, and a special report from this summer's World Cup you probably hadn't heard of. Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 174 of Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry. Alongside me, first of all, is David Walker. How's it going? Uh, it's going quite well. I've got COVID, which may, yeah. which may or may not have um, been contracted on the <laughs> last Thursday after our live show. <laughs> worth it. But it was a tremendous evening. <laughs> Absolutely mm. worth it, yeah. I'll do it all again. Yeah, yeah. Shame not to have several hundred easily amused people in front of us for this one, but there we are. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, but now, but I can visualise them now. That was the great thing about doing the show last week in London. About four hundred people turned up, and you know, you do these pods and you just do them. Adam on the Zoom, James on the Zoom, and that's it. But now I can now I can actually visualise the sort of people that listen to this pod and how much they enjoy it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it was nice. It was nice to see what the hell they were getting, getting all amused by for once. For those who turned up, thank you so much. We had a great night. For those who wanted to be there but couldn't, we might have some positive developments for you in the near future. Alongside you for today's adjudication panel is James Moore. How's it going? Yeah, good. Thank you. I'm very much in the wanted to turn up but couldn't camp. But uh, 
It sounded from the social media noise like it was an incredible evening. So well done. We had some people asking after you, actually, James. Well, yeah, I, in the yeah, bar I, afterwards, there was a few. There were there were a few, not many, but there were a few James on. Moore let, and Nick Miller fans who were inquiring about your presence. Let's put a number on that. How many people? Uh, about three. Okay, you take that, that. Is, that is a few people. <laughs> yeah, it's about one percent of the paying of the paying audience. Yeah. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. That's good. That's a good return. Charlie Eccleshen not here. He's being paid to watch Spurs players jog around in Korea and then meet people half-heartedly. What a gig that is, by the way, James. I mean, it is incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Absolute swindle. Absolutely absurd. The whole pre-season cottage industry. Um, anyway, I hope Pierre Emil Hoiberg is enjoying their lunches <laughs> out there. <laughs> no disrespect to Egg. Right. Adjudication panel time. This is from Matt Flywalker, who's been enjoying Euro 2022. Uh, and in particular, the BBC's Vicky Sparks, who was waxing lyrical about Chelsea and Denmark's Pernil Harder, who was uh, playing against Germany on Friday night. Oh, she's enjoyed another very good season with Chelsea. And a double with them in England. 16 goals in all competitions. And she is the tallest woman of this Danish side. Here is Hendrich. <laughs> 17.2 seconds of reflection there, Dave, and rightly so. Talis woman, not a thing. Um doesn't exist. Well, maybe it does now. Is this a thing that has been used before in, in regularly in women's football commentary? I, I've never heard it. But you could tell that there was a split second's worth of hesitation in her voice when she said, Tally's woman. She went for it. So and I did interpret, I interpreted that as, as a knowing a knowing yeah. sort of wink. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That yeah. she knew she was breaking the etymological rules of talisman. But, but that's why, okay. why wouldn't it work? Why it's not a gendered word. Is it not? No, a talisman comes from the mid-17th century Arabic tilsum, which is apparently an alteration of the late Greek telesma, completion, religious rite, from telane, complete, performer rite, from telos, result, end. There's, uh, there's, there's nothing to do with masculinity. <laughs> there's, there's no manliness in there. It's mun. It's a, it's a mun situation, not a man. But yeah, it, it, I'm, not, I'm not against it becoming a thing. Language evolves. But just to be uh, pedantic, I think it has it. to be delivered with that nod and wink every single time. Then, yeah. it, then it's acceptable. Otherwise, it's going to sound like a mistake. I've got no truck with the delivery. The delivery was great. It's just uh, factually incorrect. Right. Next up at Euro 2022, it's not really any sort of major tournament, uh, Dave. Until Jonathan Pierce gets involved, is that fair to say? I feel like that's now that's now the harbinger of a great tournament. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. A sta- staple part of our tournament diet. Yeah, and it, it takes him a while to get into gear. It, in fact, it takes him a while to get into gear in this particular clip. This is from Graham Hall, who noticed Piercy on duty for Sweden's uh, game against the Netherlands, in which uh, Fridolina Rolfo was having an impressive game uh, for all watching. Uh, Jonathan Pierce got rather premature about it all. Just winning tournament football, made about four goals in the winless competition. And home saw it. Did he come to speak it now? That was a good game for Sweden. We don't have to give the player of the match because Rifa uh, do that very kindly for us these days. But would she be a candidate for you if you had the choice? Well, I can't go this early in a match. Just past the hour mark. Plenty of drama to be had. 
not the question I asked actually, I said would you do a candidate? This early, the 62 got plenty of time to go to the game. Yeah, she is a candidate. But with uh, how open both teams are playing, this could be a winner. That's down on the far side, packed with colour and atmosphere. Rachel Brown finished there, Dave, <laughs> sticking up for not only the ethos of the Football Clichés podcast, but for right-minded people everywhere. 62 minutes is not the time to be declaring players of the match. No. Where do we stand on Jonathan's qualification by saying, well, I'm just asking for a candidate? <laughs> Unnecessarily... Uh, do you have to announce the candidates, like the Conservative leadership <laughs> election? There are four. There are now five candidates in the, in the running for the player of the match. I guess they did used to do... Did, on Sky, they used to do a poll, didn't they? Did they not used to do like a, a, a man of the match player of the match poll on like live Sky games way back? Like I'm talking about like sort of 20 years ago. I'm fairly I sure mean, they it's, did. It sounds like something that will have happened at some point in football history. You know, the same Surely way, and, you know, like letting that. fans decide at the match and all that stuff. Yeah. But, but yeah, Rachel Brown is quite right. Just wait, Jonathan. Almost Loro-esque, actually, her intervention. Yeah. yeah, yeah isn't it really <laughs> was. It really was. Incredibly staunch. And yeah, I, I would back that as well. An hour into a game, first game of the tournament for those two yeah. sides as well. You, you've yeah. got you've got to let it linger a bit longer than that. And it was on. Mm. What was the score? Was it one all? It was one, one all. all. Yeah. It's not that like she's got a hat trick or anything at that point. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, but Jonathan Pierce very much getting up to speed in his own inimitable way at Euro 2022. Next up, curious, very curious scenes. I don't know really know how to tackle this one at all from the Canadian Premier League. Valor FC against Halifax Wanderers on Sunday. And and I think we've all seen it now. Let's enjoy the commentary, at least. The, the, the aghast, disbelieving Canadian commentary as William Accio produces the worst miss of all time, I think. The worst miss of all time. Tracks it down, opens up to his right boot. The cross towards Ricci. Second effort, it dribbles in. No! Did Accio clear that off the line himself? What in the world? Rigi had that going, Accio was trying to make sure it got over the goal line and in the end has a goal line stand. I don't think I've ever seen that before. That is clearly going in, Willie gets there and yes, he keeps it out himself. Right, so now it's easy to kind of overreact to these situations, James. It would be easy and and I... I did indeed fall into this trap to some extent to call it the worst miss of all time without really kind of weighing up the criteria and and the competition for this. Um, But I feel on solid ground. Um, Let's take into account the various criteria that we need to use for bad misses of all time. First of all, the range. Now, it is considered a heinous crime to miss from a yard out, two yards out. That's the sort of range where someone would speculate that their grandmother could have scored. So range is important. That's fair to say, isn't it? Yeah, I'd say so. And then, I mean, this was, uh, I mean, you're, this was goal line technology range, wasn't it? The ball was so far over the line that it actually probably was one they maybe had a second look at. It, it was incredibly far over the line, just a fraction of the ball on the exactly. goal line. So on that criteria alone, Dave, it absolutely nails it. It is, it is essentially in already, which I think is part of the magic of this miss is the fact that the ball was essentially in anyway, yeah. which I think is, is wonderful. And for anyone who hasn't seen the clip, search it out. But just to describe it, yeah. So the the ball has been sort of just nipped beyond the keeper, and maybe he gets a touch on it, I think, or something. And so it's rolling relatively slowly towards an empty goal, and there are no covering defenders. There's no challenge. 
there's just two attacking players and the, and Accio tr- basically clears it off the line as when it was basically three quarters of the way over the line already. But I've spotted something just now in the in the um, in his body language afterwards, which I wonder whether that may be his defence if he's spoken about it already. He sort of points back to the line and the ball as if to suggest that it was already over. So hmm. Did he like think? Oh, and you know, did he sort of hesitate and kind of just? fuck it up at the last minute sort of thing oh I need to get this over the line but oh no it's over oh oh shit uh. that's an interesting reading so are you suggesting that he was racing in with the intention of sort of booting it in celebration and then sort of mid-act realised that the ball may well not actually be in by the time he, he his boot contacted it and that got him into a right old palaver I think yeah I, I think so I think that would be the generous way of of looking at it that he somehow just yeah just had a panic and tried to do three things at once and just ended up doing that okay the, the other oh. thing the thing i've seen suggested is that he was going to absolutely larrup it into the back of the net and then his teammate is there in in the back of the net and he was worried about clobbering this bloke in the face <laughs> oh with the ball so sort of God. changed his body shape a little bit and then just completely skewed it in the other direction but well i mean obviously in these situations um their inner motivation is the hardest thing to decipher of course um we we will get on to that in a second but so we've established that the range could not have been closer the ball was essentially over the line you couldn't get closer it's an amazing clearance so yeah yeah so yeah exactly that's a great way of putting it so that that's sealed already then you have to take into account the fact that there was no challenge to be overcome the ball wasn't bobbling like a lot of people suggesting that chupo motings missed for psg um, should be up there in the consideration, and it is. It is shocking, but it but it's a kind of honest miscontrol of the ball, almost like if it happened in the middle of the pitch, it would be completely conceivable. So I'm kind of willing to discount that. It was just it was just a misjudgment. This is all very deliberate. He's run in. He's booted the ball off the line, and he's probably miskicked it, but he has booted the ball off the line. So it was the most unnecessary act from the closest possible range, and he's. He kicks it away from the goal. It goes out for a throw-in. Everybody around him cannot understand what's going on. I think I, I can't think of a single criteria in which it doesn't be every other miss, Dave. If we're taking it at face value, it mm. has to be absolutely has to be the worst miss of all time. It is. It is the epitome of it was easier to score than miss. Yeah, yeah. He didn't need to touch yeah. it. He didn't need to do anything. It was like yeah. it was like uber David Nugent moment against uh, for England when he nicked that goal off Jermaine Defoe like it was a disgraceful thing to do to even try and nick it over the line yes (laughs) I would love to know what his reaction to his teammate would have been if he even scored Uh, the whole thing is absolutely shocking but James we mentioned a second ago about why he did this and whether we'll ever know well as it turns out if you go to his Wikipedia page under his personal life section it says Accio runs a YouTube channel about his experiences as a professional international soccer player the channel has over 30,000 subscribers mate have you looked have what you a looked, platform have you looked at the channel now since then yeah, to see how nothing many there. Gone up? it's not gone up nope. I suppose the one other thing you could say about that was that because with respect he's not an elite player or playing in an elite team it doesn't quite have that sort of disparity between like the level of mm. football you'd expect and what you're actually seeing you mentioned that Chupa Moting one playing in a you know in a massive it was a Champions League match right and you know with all these amazing players on the pitch it kind of feels like more in congress with that setting whereas yeah. this again with respect maybe not quite the same interesting that you're applying the same the same kind of debate that you would for a great goal 
Is that well? Yeah. He didn't do it. It didn't do it at the highest level. But if yeah. there was a Puskas Award for own goals, it wouldn't take that into account. You no, know, no, the is, electricity of, uh, of own goals here. That is a very good um, point. Do we know anything about the team dynamics for this particular team from the Canadian Premier League? Who, what is what, even what team is it that he plays for? Don't even Dallas know. FC. Yeah. Um, is, he, is there a race for the Golden Boot? Is there a bit of infighting? But even then, if it was him in the race, he'd just nod it over the line. Like it's not. Or maybe yeah. maybe maybe he's not in the race, but he just really hates the person who is in the race, so he's just preventing him from scoring. Surely someone spoke to him after the game. They must have done, unless he was protected by the uh, the club press officer. Yeah, but now, sadly, I mean, all you do if you Google his name, you're just surrounded by um, just, just just viral articles about this bloke that Mister Mister Goal in the Canadian. Well, if he's got his own YouTube channel, surely he will be addressing. Yeah, exactly. It. Soon. He has a platform. Yeah. yeah, cannot wait to find out. I mean, that would be um, the most depressing thing, wouldn't it? Turn, it's gonna be a really bleak video. Turns out it? it's all just for the content. Oh man, <laughs> that might that would explain uh, Ben Foster's goalkeeping record. Just the, 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 the YouTube, <laughs> exactly. It's the YouTube thumbnail of him head in hands. <laughs> yeah, poor poor William Accio. It, this one could potentially run and run. Uh, speaking of which, we thought this saga was over. James, Mike Riley, of course, no longer the referees chief at PGMOL, and that's good news. For one man, Richard Keyes. I presume he, he uh, is supportive of Howard Webb his, as Riley's successor. But we thought that saga was over. It might not be. Because do you know who the new commissioner of the Metropolitan Police is? <laughs> Hit me. Mark Rowley. <laughs> right, back to more regular matters, please, Dave. This is from Jack Kelly, who was um, enjoying the highlights of Crystal Palace's 5-4 training ground friendly win over Millwall on Saturday. They gave it the full treatment, um, commentator and co-commentator, in this case, Mark Bright. And um, this game was characterised by some very lax early July defending, um, about which Brighty was getting steadily more annoyed. But I think this reaction to another soft goal from a Millwall set piece was my favourite bit. You have to listen very, very carefully for this one. Another set piece for Millwall towards the far post again, and they have got ahead to it, and they have got a third goal, and it's another one from a set piece. And suddenly, it's game on all over again. Do you hear it? Or was it the tut? Yeah, yeah. So every time I listened to that, I thought it was on YouTube. <laughs> Just a tut. An audible Just a tut. tut. <laughs> They're really good tut as well. Yeah. Really good tut, I think that's it. I think that tut probably coupled with like a head... Movement of the head, yeah. Side. <sighs> yeah, ostentatious shaking of the head, yeah. Yeah. I guess that's all you really need. I'm in house club commentator. Yeah. Pre-season, you've got you got a, it's a warm up for the commentators as well. Let's not forget mm. that. It was quite, quite hard to tut over the roar of say a crowd at Anfield and Super Sunday, <laughs> but, I, but I would be all for it. <laughs> yeah. Pre-season tutting. People Gar- are up to speed. Gary Neville must have tutted at Anfield at some point. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure he has. He must yeah. have done. Yeah. But yeah, really enjoyed that. Also enjoy the cast of characters that populate the Indian Super League whenever you go and have a glance over. Owen Coyle's time at Jamshedpur is over, of course, mm. famously. He led the Men of Steel to the regular season title in the Indian Super the League. The Men of season. Steel. The Men of Steel. They're owned by Tata Steel. Right. Hence okay. the name. But who do you get to replace Owen Coyle? How, how, do you, how do you follow that man who's taken you to the regular season title? You do that. Dave Walker by hiring A.D. Boothroyd <laughs> of course oh A.D. It's, it's like really easy to write it all off as a knackers yard isn't it but for him it's probably brilliant brilliant like going work in India for a few months probably live in a really nice place get some decent money You've, they're one of the best teams why not there's so many angles to attack here James but 
First of all, the, the, the Twitter graphic that accompanied his unveiling, the wait is finally over. A.D. Boothroyd joins Jamshedpur FC as our new head coach. Drop a heart to welcome our new gaffer in the Jamshedpur style. And of course, he gets his own little montage of, of his face just scattered <laughs> around an image. I mean, that's more enthusiastic than Man City would probably wear about Haaland, I think, when they announced him belatedly. Yeah, but it's all go in the Indian Super League, James, because uh, as A.D. Boothroyd is installed at Jamshedpur, over at Bengaluru FC... They've appointed Simon Grayson. Oh, God! I mean, they—they they really feel like McLavin yeah, they feel like they're in a sort of similar vein. Those two, they're definitely mm. in. The, they definitely sort of feel like they're in the same sphere Absolutely. of managers. Why do the Indian Super League love this type of manager so much? Because it's availability, a very specific maybe? level of English football management. Absolutely, they're all in the yeah. same bracket. It's so you know, Peter Reedy. Peter Reed has yeah. been out there. Um, John Gregory, like, had didn't yeah. he have like a lot of success out there? Has Pulis been over? No, no, I don't it, think it, Pulis it, has. Surely, it's it just the availability. The guys who have managed in the Premier League, so they're known and they're out of work, so they'll be willing to go over there. And I mean, being England under twenty one manager has some cachet. Clearly, I mean, yeah. this isn't a complete nobody. He's yeah. he's been fancied for certain jobs, but. Um, but yeah, he still very much ticks these boxes. I've got a list here of of all the coaches, yeah, who have been in the Indian uh, Indian Super League. Uh, Teddy Sheringham had a spell out there. This is for eight for eighty k as manager. Uh, yes, as head coach. Yes, yeah, head coach. Yeah, Robbie Keane also for the same. Steve Koppel. Yeah, uh, Simon yeah, Grayson currently yeah. there. John Gregory, as we said, Robbie Fowler had a spell at East Bengal. Uh, oh, I do remember this. Phil yeah. Brown. Uh, Hyderabad, one hundred percent. David James had a brief, very t- a three-month spell in uh, Kerala Blasters. Peter Taylor, Steve Copples managed loads of them. Managed about three different clubs. This is incredible. It feels like there are two distinct groups here, aren't there? There are kind yeah. of nineties Premier League stars who haven't been able to become managers in English football who have gone off to try somewhere else, and then there are these guys who are probably managers in the nineties who haven't been able to find work more recently, who have opted to go to India to... uh feels like mm. that's the two very distinct groups. There's no kind of managers really on an upward trajectory there, I don't think. Yeah, I, I get that. But like thematically, it's such a tightly knit group. So much so that, that if I had to kind of encapsulate it in one image, I could imagine them all sat around in the same restaurant, but wearing the every single possible colour of polo shirt yeah and and <laughs> every single possible colour this next name will fit very much into that David Platt who yeah. had a spell at Pune City in, in 2015 uh, Phil Brown was yeah. also there you've got yeah Peter Reid Nicholas Enelka had a spell at <laughs> Mumbai City it's incredible really manager and the current manager of Mumbai City is an Englishman called Des Buckingham who is a the 30, 37. 37. He sounds like he should be 74. <laughs> he's not, he's 37. He's Amazing. I thought it was... <laughs> is he some descendant of... Is it Vic Buckingham, the guy who managed like Ajax? Oh, it might Maybe be. he's like a descendant and that's how he's got the job. Yeah. Doesn't... I mean, he's clearly got some coaching pedigree. He's done the rounds yeah. as a coach. Been a lot... So he's picking up some skills. I think he's done his... Yeah, he's had a lot of jobs in Australia and New Zealand. Yeah. They're all in the bar in their polo shirts. He's back in the hotel room and on his laptop, making sure yeah. that he's got his drill sorted out for Why the next scout? day. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. They're all laughing at him, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Oh, Des, Des there and he's, oh, he's got his tactics book out again, has he? Yeah. Anyway, that's enough. Next up, Paul has alerted me to um, some pre-season behaviour over at Sunderland. The Roker Report website 
described the, uh, this goal from Luke O'Neill thus. Pritchard's corner is met by Luke O'Neill at the back post, who puts Sunderland ahead. This was against Rangers in their pre-season friendly. Paul says, in fact, this was a cross chested down and converted, Dave. I don't think you can meet it unless it's a first-time finish. He's bang on, isn't he? Yes, because the meeting... It's like when you say... When you're having a go at defender for missing a, a, a header from a long goal kick. Mm. Meet it! Meet yeah. the bounce! Yeah, it sort yeah. of implies an element of like timing, doesn't it? You yeah. need to be in yeah. the right place at the right time. You need to move mm. to be in the right place at the right time. Maybe sort of... Is, so if meet... In an attacking context, James, if meeting is like a first-time contact, so header, volley, whatever, side foot finish, whatever you like, it's meeting it, it's first time, and you're done. If you control it, it should be known as welcoming. <laughs> Welcome the cross. It's perfect. No. No, I, that that feels to me like it would work for a goalkeeper collecting across, but it, it was it doesn't work. Maybe defensively that works, but I don't think in an attacking sense. It okay. feel... more it's more secure in a keeper's gloves. Is that what you? Yeah, saying? that feels like it's yeah. been it has been like embraced. Okay, brought inside. Whereas okay. like if a centre forward is just going to like welly it as hard as I can towards the mm. goal, right? Could you describe it thus? The Lukainine met the ball at the back post and then finished. No past the way! No way! Because the, the meeting is the chest, chest part of this of this situation. No way! If you control it, it's no longer a meet meeting. No chance. Uh, absolutely militant about this. Meeting is first time only. Come on! Yeah, but you're yeah, yeah. but you're moving on. That's what I'm saying. You've moved. He's met it, and then you and then you're moving on. Do something else. No way. Wow. Glad we included this because that's really, that's really let me know who's who in the landscape of football cliches. Next up, wonderful disagree about this one. David G98 has pointed me in the direction of uh, FC Edinburgh, who said they are extremely excited to announce the signing of former Premiership defender and Scottish Cup winner Liam Fontaine. This signing is a statement of intent, they say, that the club plans to compete in Cinch League One. James shouldn't be allowed to declare your own statement of intent. We've talked about statements of intent recently on this podcast, but we didn't address this particular issue. You can't declare your own. Yeah, I mean, in a club, like, effectively press release, that is actually a statement. It is literally a statement from the club. <laughs> yeah, I can't... You can't, have a, you can't have a statement within a statement. Yeah. It's ludicrous. Yeah, it's... I mean, statements of intent are such a fluid concept, Dave, but I think we can all agree that it's for others to decide in the landscape of football at this moment whether your signing is the statement of intent that you think it is. I think you can be... Uh, like, a manager could be asked whether this was a statement of intent and could could confirm it or could agree with it with a question. You can't, in official club communications, declare something a statement of intent because it's just waiting no. to blow up in your face. Yeah, exactly. Who are you to say that... FC Edinburgh. Right, over to the County Cricket Championship once again. James, Kent welcomed Northamptonshire to the Spitfire Ground St Lawrence for the 170th Canterbury Cricket Week in the LV Insurance County Championship from Monday the 11th of July. Now, Northamptonshire have said, in what is being dubbed as a (laughs) 48-pointer, both sides will be looking to record a victory to boost their points tally in Division 1 of this year's championship. What the fuck? 48 points. James Morgan asks, can we really allow the usage of 48-pointer in a cricketing context? I mean, you're taking me slightly out of my comfort zone here. So I understand there are like a, an absolute shed load of points they can play for in a county championship and they can, presumably, they can, is it 24 they can get? I sought some expert opinion from Jack Pitbrook and he says it's 16 points for a win, Dave. Yeah. And you can you can get eight possible bonus points for, for various things that you achieve with the bat. Right. I, I'm fascinated by this. And it's the same in other sports, same in Formula One, where the points have changed quite a lot over the years. I remember it used to be like 10 points for a win. 
Um, but now it's 25 points for a win, is it, I think? And, like, who... Why 16 points for a win plus eight? Why does it it's need like to be that many points? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Why it is mad. can't there be make, a yeah. universal system of how points in league tables should work? I don't get it. I don't get what the point of it is. Do, it do they must want, be to oh, accommodate they, they want, the bonus structure. It can only be. Like, otherwise, you'd be into sort of half points because those things mean less, I can only assume. But what a mess that sounds. Yeah, because you can't half three. Obviously. Yeah. So, and you don't want point. You don't want half points and all that shit. But like, yeah, yeah, it still it still seems really arbitrary, and it feels to me like somebody's like, oh, it'll look better if there's like, you know, a team with that hundred and ninety five points at the end of the season. Mm. <laughs> They've broken the hundred point barrier <laughs> again. Well, they do that, but they score loads of points every single time they play. Anyway, they don't need it in the league table too. They're yeah. racking up massive scores all the time. It's incredible. How many how um, many points are there between? Sorry, was it Kent and Northamptonshire? Kent Northamptonshire. Um, Northamptonshire have a game in hand, but they are three points behind Kent. I don't know if that makes it better yeah, or worse that they three put it points at of a game points. in hand. Three points of a game in hand in this context this means absolutely nothing now, doesn't it? <laughs> well, Gloucestershire are tenth in the table. They've got fifty three points, but they haven't won a game. <laughs> Whipping boys of uh, Division One of the County Championship. Anyway, yeah, but forty eight pointer. Uh, it's it's absurd. No matter what the technicals behind it. Not having it. Um, let's 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 move on to something that I think we can enjoy and not sneer at. This is from Mike Emotions. He tells me this is his DJ name. I'm watching the All Ireland semi final between Kerry and Dublin in Gaelic football, and Sean O'Shea has just is just about to step up for a penalty. Um, so, just to be clear, in, in in Gaelic football, if if you get fouled, it's like a football penalty. Like you put the ball down on the spot and you take it like a penalty into the goal. And uh, here's what the commentators had to say about it. But before all of that. There's a penalty coming up, and Sean O'Shea, who's already scored after four minutes, which was his fourth ever championship goal, has a chance to put a big, big gap between the teams before we reach half time. He's a bottom right hand corner merchant. Let's well, see, does he change his mind? Thankfully, Evan Cummins is okay and able to face up to the kick. That may not surprise us, I think. No. Big moment down at the goal where we had those penalty shootouts in the Galway Armagh quarterfinal. In the semi final of the All Ireland, Sean O'Shea, big moment. Does he score? He saved it. It saved even the second time. Um, wanted to include the actual end result of this palaver because uh, it turns out he did actually go for the bottom right hand corner, James. The bottom right hand corner merchant. I mean that failed to produce the goods. <laughs> that that is incredible, right? I, uh, we definitely need to take that for football. You happy with that to enter the merchant subcategory? I think so. I mean, if you know exactly the kind of penalty that is, and you know exactly the kind of player who takes that kind of penalty. Don't Harry you? Kane. Harry Kane. Very much. Really? Just like drilled into the Kane. bottom corner, like Harry pulling Kane's it top, across himself. Harry Kane's a top left corner merchant, if anything, isn't he? I reckon bottom left. Uh, you, we can't have this though, no, James. You're you're, you're you're wrong here. We can't have someone being called a top corner merchant or a bottom corner merchant or what a straight down the middle what merchant. merchants are permitted yeah. what merchants are permitted Penenka merchants <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> None of it works. Give me a list of approved merchants. Um, You'll often hear someone described as a penalty merchant, like a sort of Bruno Fernandez or whoever. Really? So why not be why not be more specific? Yeah, someone who just scores penalties and didn't really score any proper goals. Speed merchant. You'll hear penalty tapping merchant. You hear that? Penalty. Tapping I feel like merchant. tapping maybe it's tapping merchant. Yeah. Speed merchants are the biggest merchants. Yeah, speed merchants. Tapping yes. merchants obviously more of a more of a snidey thing to say, but I do I, think it is. Speed merchant? Speed demon. Yeah. Not speed, speed merch. Mer- no, speed merchant, very much a thing. I, is merchant yeah. like sort of a backhanded compliment thing? Sometimes used in a bit of a derogatory sense. It increasingly is, hence sort of tapping merchant. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna look for its usage amongst just, people just, I follow. On just to it. loop back on uh, something we were talking about earlier, I found a story from 2019 where Ben Foster calls Mo Salah a penalty merchant. So. Okay. Wind up merchant. Wind Wind up merchant. merchant. Yeah, exactly. Wind up merchant is the top answer here in family fortunes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that and that's a very very solid format to use for this. That is true. Um, That is true. uh, I've seen red card merchant. Speed merchant is good. So speed and wind up. Someone once tweeted me that Hatton Ben Arthur would would be in his streets. Don't forget. 11 rather than some of the boring longevity merchants that featured in the Barclays 11 <laughs> longevity merchants absolutely fantastic I, th- I think the key thing is though it's, it's, it's like detrimental isn't it it has to be it has to be a negative thing it has to be like pejorative and I think and I think if you're describing someone as a bottom corner merchant you're kind of saying they take they, they competently take penalties which if they're not taking them for your team is boring mm. and bad okay so 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 you can be a merchant if you consistently do something either neutral or good you can be a merchant if you rely on something that people can see, um, perceive as being either sort of cheating or bad what about this someone described a manager as a long ball merchant that's yeah. fine yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, in fact yeah, a whole yeah. team could be long ball merchants plural yes that's good yeah. that's, I Long think that's number two if Les Dennis was here that would be number two on the yeah AD, yeah. AD Boothroyd is going to is going to transform Jamshed Poor into a team of long ball merchants uh, this, this tweet from Michael Cox saying a uh, he was he was quote tweeting um, an account asking for the favourite athletics moment of the Olympics in Tokyo and he said a commentator describing someone in a sprint event as a speed merchant which had me absolutely <laughs> seething for five seconds before I realised it was part of the decathlon and therefore was acceptable <laughs> he gets it he fucking gets it ah oh, brilliant brilliant the whole thing but yeah great analysis of the merchant subgenre uh, but still not having bottom right hand corner merchant not for me dave one for you this this is from matt viney who sent us some wrestling from the u.s Scorpio Sky looking to retain that title here tonight in our opening contest. Well, you hear a massive audience here in Rochester, New York, screaming Wardlow's name. The 12th man is in Wardlow's corner, in the challenger's corner, but I don't know if that's going to matter much. <laughs> Come on, then, defend it. I can't. I can't defend it. <laughs> that, I believe, is the uh, the commentator in question there is known as Taz. Um and he's got it all wrong there, the twelfth man. But what would you say? The second, the second man. It was a singles bout, so. But the twelfth man is a thing in wrestling, not not like officially or anything. But like hang on, what about no. like in the Royal Rumble or something? When there's um, the best 10, 11 guys in the ring with tables and stuff. It's not. Well, it isn't a thing. No, it's not an accepted thing. I've never certainly never heard it used before in in wrestling. But it doesn't. It doesn't work on any level level at all, really. Agreed. I heard on on a, on a very similar note. I heard the England women manager Serena Wiegmann described the old Trafford crowd last week as the twelfth woman. Mm. Which I'd never I'd never thought of before, but I was at the game and I was sort of so was I part of the was I part of the twelfth women? Was I yeah. 
I was, yeah, there's, I was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's an ongoing campaign of that very name. Yeah. I think it's fine. You're, you're giving the team something extra on the pitch, you're aren't Part you? of the collective yeah. spirit, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. the fact that the, 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 the crowd at a game like that would be more female than, than it would be at a... At a at an England men's game, um, if only it adds to the, but isn't absolutely crucial. But it does add to the um, to the kind of direct like for like replacementness of the phrase. So I'm all for it, no issue there, certainly. Um, but yeah, wrestling, another nail in that coffin. Right, keys and grey corner. <laughs> Now, just a quick one for you. Tributes flooding in for the retiring Sue Barker, um, who made a tearful goodbye to Wimbledon duties on the BBC at the weekend. Yeah, lots of love for Barker from all the usual places. Lineker tweeting his fond farewell, all all by the book, all absolutely by the textbook. Absolutely fine. And here's Keezy's tribute, which could not be more Keezy from start to finish. Here it goes. Hilly and I told you you'd be good. Hashtag Sue Barker. You were better than good as it turned out. Much better. Legend is the word. I'm proud to have done the first two with you. Do you remember his wind machine to make your hair move? Crying laughing emoji. Enjoy the time off now. God's sake. Every element of this, Dave. First of all, I knew you were good before you did. Yep. (laughs) Legend is the word. I'm proud to have done the first two with you. First two what? Wimbledon's. Wimbledon. Eighteen seventy-seven. Keezy Wimbledon. Surely that's not what he means. But that can only be it. Yeah, maybe. Must be. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but presumably, she didn't go straight from being like a player to hosting the whole thing on the BBC. She must have done some sort of outside broadcasting bits, right? At the yeah, start. maybe. That's I don't true. know. But yeah, I can. I reckon I can see that Keezy might have been at Wimbledon back in the sort of when he was still on GMTV or whatever it was called back then. But also doing it, you know, very much in the Andrew Castle sort of mould yeah. of things. Yeah, he must have had. You know, he transitioned from sort of light entertainment to sport. Yeah. So that kind of Wimbledon feels sort of halfway between mm. the two. He's yeah. kind of done his inverted partridge thing. And I can imagine like, as a point where that could have worked. I can imagine Keezy playing tennis with Cliff Richard. Ah, oh, yes. I can see 100%. that. I can see Keezy donning the whites and having a game of doubles. Andy Gray at the net. Oh. You'd <laughs> be a really good line manager. <laughs> Excellent. Well done. But yeah, look forward to Sue Barker popping up on B in Sports next season. Sue Barker. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person 
anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Oh, look at that! That is wonderful! Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Okay, that wraps up the adjudication panel. Uh, but we're not done here. I want to talk to you about the trip I made a couple of weeks ago in search, because there was no World Cup this summer, but I wanted to find one. And I went to Nantes, the birthplace of surrealism, for the Foosball World Cup. Wow. I mean, obviously, I knew you were going, so... But, but, but before that, I didn't realise that there was a Foosball World Cup. So do tell, explain. The 14th edition of the Foosball World Cup, or to give it its proper name, the International Table Soccer Federation World Cup and World Championships. In its hometown of Nantes, that's where the uh, headquarters of the ITSF are based. Okay, so, wow. So what's the... A lot of questions, um, actually, but what's the the format? Is it teams? Doubles? It's uh, 10 categories, and there's 39 individual championships at the Foosball World Cup. You've got the men's singles, the women's singles... You've got the men's doubles, the women's doubles, the mixed doubles, the senior men's doubles, uh, the junior versions of all of those, uh, and that's under-13s, under-16s, under-19s. Wow. Then you've got... Um, then they have something called classic, which is um, essentially the same same rules minus one rule, which was there's a certain type of shot you're not allowed to do. That was all a bit strange. I kind of ignored the classic. Sorry to all the classic fans out there. And then the whole thing, all these finals reach the climax of the Nations World Cup. So it's a bit like, that's a bit like the Davis Cup. All the teams get together mm-hmm. and they play each other in a, in, in a kind of combination of all the formats. So it's, it's two singles and two doubles. And it's like first to 40. And it's fucking amazing. Foosball. Foosball, James. What your image? What, what's your kind of experience of foosball as a, as a game? Uh, well, fun, it's funny you mention that because I have actually beaten, uh, I think maybe a, a first division winner. Yeah, Chris Kamara. I've beaten Chris Kamara at table football. Right. I mean, Where I, and when? <laughs> when? At a uh, sort of shonky PR event for, I think, a mobile phone manufacturer in the late, Fantastic. In the late 2000s. And it being right. uh, a PR event in the late 2000s, there were paid free girls there as well, I think. <laughs> right. Um, no such scenes. No. In Nantes, but so yeah, it's just a. It was a and so there are a thousand players. There are a thousand players at this venue for six days playing foosball nonstop. So how many matches were there in total? Do you think hundreds, hundreds and Shit. hundreds of matches? Did they do the national anthem before every one? Great question. Great question. They did play the national anthems. I was delighted to discover. Because this is the thing. I went, I went to Nantes with one kind of inevitable question, which is, is foosball a sport? 
This is the sort of question these mm. pieces always have to answer. And I answered it in my 6,400-word piece for The Athletic that's out this morning. And, but I felt like it was a question I had to tackle first. Just how much of a legit sport is this? And it was ticking boxes left, right and centre. Do they play the national anthems? Yes. They had a whole ceremony about halfway through the tournament where they introduced the teams that were going to be playing. Well, no, they introduced the entire squads, whether they were going to be playing in the Nations event or not. And they all played the national anthem. And all the countries you'd expect to, to nail the national anthem did. GB, 6 out of 10. US, 7 out of 10. Italy, 9 out of 10. Uh, yeah. Absolutely nailed it. And then um, what other boxes did they tick? Uh, the organisation is just just amazing. Um, the whole They had commentators. They had... Uh, they were broadcasting on Twitch with three different commentators. I was going to ask you about that, actually, the broadcasting. So were there post-match interviews or did you see any commentators or how did that work? So they had um, a really cheerful um, Czech guy called Radek, whose job it was to kind of be the compare on the stage for the whole thing. A little bit like darts, I guess. It's quite dartsy, but without the nicknames and the beer and the placards. It's very sanitised. Right, but it is that any of the bits that people like vibe. about darts? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, sure. But this is a family thing. It's very family-oriented. Yeah, okay. Is, is there Sweet Caroline? No, the only music I heard was kind of some sub-Super Sunday um, sort of music that they would play over the top of the league table or the, or the upcoming fixtures, mm. played on sort of a 10-second loop as players took to the stage and left the stage at the end. As a spectator sport, though, presumably it's not that thrilling. You have to watch the big screens, I guess, right? This is one of the. I think this is one of the big weaknesses of, of foosball. It's very hard to watch. So, uh, so unless you're sort of crowded around a table, and uh, there, there are kind of two ways to consume it. Either you stand around a table in the arena, and the spectators are allowed to walk around. Oh, okay. And the crowds were a little bit like a very casino. Much, yeah, very much like a casino. Or the impression I got every single time there was a big match, so like a French player playing or a US or Germany against anyone. Everybody enjoyed watching people playing against Germany, and the crowds was a little bit like on Antiques Roadshow. When someone's got something fucking amazing, really <laughs> and then there's sort of people in the background, sort of just arching to get their head on on camera. That was basically the size of the crowds mm. around some of these tables. Absolutely gripped, and it is gripping if you can see it happening. But if you're watching it from afar, you've got no chance. So they had it on big screens with replays, slow motion replays after goals. I tell you what, the biggest credential it had for the first time ever, they had. Anti-doping controls. <laughs> oh, what? This year, the ITSF have signed up to the WADA code. What sort of stuff would you have? To, how could you dope in foosball? Was stead, something to steady your hand? Or I suppose just general well, stamina, attention span? Well, the boring answer is there's kind of two approaches to this. One, there's kind of you want to clean up your sport and make sure that everyone's, you know, yeah. legit. And it's, a fa- and it's a thing that families can get involved in. So that's the boring side. Although something like the world number two is, is, uh, makes his living growing legal weed in Colorado. So I don't know how he's going to um, adhere to the rules. Otherwise, um, in theory, you know, you could take beta blockers or uh, or amphetamines just to get you going. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's a power-based sport. There's a lot of speed involved, a lot of wrist action. And uh, I was on the hunt, James, partly in this tournament, for the bad boy of foosball. I couldn't find them. People kept telling me about this French guy called Olivier Covos, who, who had a history of like absolutely going crazy at opponents to put them off their game, shouting at referees, upturning the old the old table here and there. Wow. But I uh, couldn't I mean, they're heavy find those them. tables, by the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And and they are. And they're worth a lot of money as well. And uh but he went out in the early rounds, so um so no danger there. I mean it sounds like there must have been some quite eccentric, let's say, diplomatically people that what what am I right in thinking there are a few uh curious characters? 
Yeah, inevitably, because it's actually quite an intense sport. Like it's like there are very few sports where you're that, at that close quarters with your opponent. Like you're you're over the over a table, you know, going at it, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was I was milling around between tables in these sort of qualifying rounds of various events, and it was there was a, there was a good hubbub going, lots of lots of intermittent cheering, and then in the massive overspill arena it was like a greenhouse as the heat coming in as these they were sort of trying to get through the elimination rounds over the hubbub i heard this you said my feet were slow my hands aren't (laughs) so i turned round and i saw this giant woman called tracy brubaker of team usa and she was playing the world number one in in the women's singles um katy sabalescu from bucharest and she beat her. Um, Tracy Brubaker's 52 years old, mother from Colorado. And she's the nicest person, one of the nicest people I've ever met. But as soon as she steps up to the table, she is, as her partner Amy Powers described her, a beast. It was, it's always great to play. Just clean and fierce. Fierce. Fierce is the interesting word. Amy, this woman, she is a force of nature. She's a beast. On the table. How'd you On fi- the table. Well, this is thing. So as soon as, as soon as that, as soon as that word "ready" is said, do you just switch? Yes. At competition, because in our basement at home, I'm not like this. <laughs> and they say, "Mom, why don't you practice like you play?" And I said, "Because I'm I'm busy thinking about what I'm going to make for dinner, or what laundry I need to do, or who needs what." Are you telling me this is an escape from all of that? Oh yes. Yeah. Oh, it's absolutely a hobby. If it paid paid millions, it'd be a great profession. And I'd definitely have somebody else do the laundry. Um, um, Given your your beastly nature on the table... This is how Jesus made me. Tracy. (laughs) Um, Have you ever had any sort of run-ins with some opponents? How argumentative do you get? Oh, I don't like to get argumentative at all, but I don't like to get pushed around. Mm. And if I'm sure about something, then we're going to have to discuss it. But I've been instructed to stop caving in so easily in the name of peace. That's hard for me because I'm a lover. Yep. And a mom. Yep. So it's hard, but no, if something, and a fighter. Not in that way, though. <laughs> and if something's somebody's trying to do something that's not right, I have yeah. to stand up. It feels like it would be remiss not to ask about spinning. What it's, is it allowed? Is it it's really, a very elementary question. Is it, is it question. a cardinal sin, like people kind of make out that it is? It's the first question that everybody seems to ask, and that now now I'm on the scene. And I'm quite big on the scene now, on the foosball scene. I feel like uh, I can field these sorts of questions. And uh, spinning is indeed prohibited in foosball and spinning is defined as rotating the rods 360 degrees either before or after hitting the ball so in around 1992 someone popularized a new shot that got round this rule and it it changed the game completely it's essentially like the back pass rule in in football completely changed the sport and it was called the snake shot and what it is if you're thinking about gripping a foosball handle you're gripping it with your palm and you're twisting it with your wrist. This guy, his name's Terry Moore, but he didn't invent it apparently, but he did popularise it. He brought it to the to Tornado Championships in the US, which is their equivalent of the World Cup. That's their rival tournament. And what it is, you, you put your hand down past the handle 
past the rod and you're holding the rod against your wrist. And with the snake shot, you pull your arm up and, it, and you rotate the rod with your wrist as you pull it up. And what it does is you've pinned the ball underneath your man facing the goal. So the, the, man's, the man, that's the technical term, the man's feet are facing the goal with the ball pinned underneath his feet. And you rapidly whip that rod and the, the man spins all the way around backwards, hits the ball, less than 360 degrees, maximum power. And, and that changed the game. So from then on, the snake shot became the deciding shot in about what they think is about 70% of, uh, of, get, of matches at elite level. That's what decides it. I, th- I think in, by the time that the 20, what, 36 Olympics roll around, mm. and this podcast has long since bitten the dust, God knows what state the athletic will be in by that point. You could, the, I could, I could see the BBC, the BBC wow. bringing bringing you in yeah. as the as foosball debuts at the twenty thirty six Olympics. Adam Hurry is here just to provide us with a little bit of colour. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I could totally co commentate on foosball now. Hundred percent. I've got it. I've got it all in my locker. It's all up there. I absorbed it. Forty eight hours relentlessly. So, did you get to have a go? On any of the tables, did you did you take anyone on at all, or, or were the mem- members of the press pack having their own tournament? Well, given the community spirit of it, it was really open. As I said, the fans could just sort of mill around. So if there was a table free, you could just play on it. What tournament and, regulation? And it, you just hop on yeah, and play. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We're That's outrageous. Sort of Three thousand. So just pop on, tables. pop on to the Maracanã on an off day and have a five, <laughs> yeah, have exactly. a kick about. This is the, <laughs> that's the great thing about foosball. It's everyone's welcome. Everyone's welcome. So do you know what? I was sat watching. Um, Dave Zeman versus Bruce. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Dave Zeman is a legend of British David football. David He's won title after title after title. And uh, he won the over-60 oh, double. <laughs> Wasn't quite as cheerful as Dave Zeman, I have to say, but he, he had a dry wit about him, let's put it that way. So I was sitting watching this, thoroughly enjoying it on the big screen. They were playing on one of the show stages. And this bloke leans across and says, have you had a go? Do you want to go? Do you want to have a go? I'll show you how to play. I was like, do you know what? After all this, all this time at this tournament, I never actually thought about laying my hands on a foosball table. I haven't played for 10 years. And I said, all right, this could be fun. The bloke, his name is Fast Eddie. Right, I'm here with Team GB's Fast Eddie. And he is going to teach me how to play elite level foosball. I haven't touched a foosball table in about 10 to 15 years, but it looks pretty easy. So, uh, come on then, Eddie, try and beat me. Oh, that was hard luck. I almost saved it. Okay. So it's my go, right? You'll go here, Adam, from right. the middle. So that goes there. Touch right. two players and do what you like. That's it. Oh, okay. I'm more of a defender anyway, to be honest. Oh, goodness okay. me. It's 2-0, uh, it's fast, Eddie. Well, fast Eddie is officially fast. Is that 2 0, Adam? I think that's 3, actually. Oh, that's a the most frustrating game in the world. <laughs> Jesus Christ. 5 1. Here we go. Fingertips to that one. It's 9-1 to Fast Eddie. 
possibly 11. So we were we were playing we were playing along. He was teaching me the basics, and then some um, random French guys came over and said, "Do you want a game?" <laughs> so then suddenly, I was playing against some French locals on I think it was on their home table, the Bonzini, with only Fast Eddie to help me, and we decided that he should go in goal. No, he's we decided that he should go up front because he was the only only hope we had, and I did my best to block it, and we won. I'm pretty sure we won. So there we go. I've won a game at the Foosball World Cup. Right, there we are. An unorthodox end to a Football Clichés podcast, but one I'm delighted to have. Um, thanks to you, James, for joining the adjudication panel. Pleasure as always. Dave, I hope you learned a lot about foosball today. I did. All I ask is that you take me on the uh, the next trip, please. You'll be there. Yeah, trust yeah. me. I'll convert you. This is like a cult as far as I'm concerned. We could, we could enter. Yeah. Do you fancy yourself as a goalkeeper or a striker? Um, I'm really shit at both. And foosball. Mm. I'm so. I'm probably worse than you at foosball. I am. It, okay. I, it is the single thing that I am worst at. Not just in sport, yeah. in anything. I'm appalling. Yeah. But yeah, I annoying. would rather be the striker. I think. Okay. Fine. Yeah. Go for the glory. That's no problem. No problem. You're allowed to switch in between the games. So don't worry. And uh, we'll be back on Thursday for another episode of Football Cliches. Thanks for everyone for listening. See you soon. The Athletic. <laughs>